0: Amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you read the scripture on, we're going to be reading from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter And the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as they, uh, for as they did not re- understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples went back to their homes. Amen. John 20,
1: 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her john 20:19 20, through 23 on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the jews jesus came and stood among them and said to them peace be with you when he had said this he showed them his hands and his side then the disciples were glad when they saw the lord Jesus said to them again, "'Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you.' And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is without."
2: Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other the disciples told him, "'We have seen the Lord.' But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side do not disbelieve but believe Thomas answered him my Lord and my God Jesus said to him have you believed because you have seen me blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed John chapter 20 verse
0: 30 and um, thirty-one, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Amen.
2: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship and pray that you prepare us to receive the message, Lord. And thank you for a day to celebrate you. Rising from the dead, this is the best holiday ever pertaining to us, him spending eternity with you. So I thank you for that. And just
3: pray this, praise you, and pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 You may be seated so good to see all of you and we are multiplying as the minutes pass so in light of that uh, tonight is a family worship sunday so all the kids are going to be in the room with us however the nursery is open so feel free to head to my back right down the hallway and up the stairs. The nursery is open and the the worship gathering is streaming there in the nursery. However, keep in mind it is not staffed. In addition, if your kids like to color, we have a table back there also to my right with a lot of coloring pages on it with markers and crayons uh, for them. So Kids, feel free to go back and grab some if your parents allow you to. And we're going to jump right into the message. So, we are in a series called Jesus in Genesis. And we're not going to break from that series because, uh, with a little strategic planning on part of the elders, uh, Genesis 15 fits right into the gospel and resurrection story. Though, Uh, You might miss it if you're just reading through Genesis, but our hope and plan is that you won't miss it, and tonight the gospel will be very explicit and very clear, and the resurrection highlighted and celebrated as we go through Genesis chapter 15. So we're going to jump right in, uh, in verses 15, 1 to 6, and I am going to begin to unpack these verses for us, and if my clock person could start, I would really appreciate that. Thank you. All right, let's read, and we will begin to unpack Genesis 15 together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, if you remember from last week, or if you weren't here, perhaps you can recall in your mind Genesis chapter 14. Uh, Abraham has just gone to war. You remember there was five kings verse four kings, and uh, Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew, was taken in this battle, and uh, Abraham and his trained men in his household, his little army of 314 plus men, went after his nephew Lot and beat down uh, these four powerful kings, rescuing Lot and taking back all the people of the kingdoms of the five kings. And so Abraham, obviously with the help of God, because he was majorly outnumbered, was able to beat down these powerful forces in the region uh, of the Canaan of, of Canaan. And so that just happened. Okay, so keep that in mind. Abraham just went to war, and what does that mean, friends? That means a lot of blood. Okay, that means like swords and knives and probably breaking of necks. I know it's kind of rated R, but it is what it is. Like, war is not pretty. And so we're talking a lot of bloodshed, a lot of violence just happened a chapter before. Abraham comes out victorious, and he is praised by this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. And you remember this being a foreshadowing of Jesus, uh, a type of Christ. And so here, in verse 1 of chapter 15, it's kind of obvious if you think about the connection to chapter 14 after these things, what things? Chapter 14, the war. The Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So think about it. Abraham is Abram at this time. Not yet. Abraham is thinking to himself. Most likely there's going to be some retaliation. I may be in trouble here. You know they're going to gather more forces and here I am with my 314 men born in my household my trained warriors and it's just me Uh, maybe we don't know for sure but why else would God say fear not that implies he was afraid okay and in addition to the fear of possible retaliation he's afraid that there's not going to be one born of his household to receive his massive wealth And so he says, this one, one of my servants, Eleazar of Damascus, he will inherit all that I have worked for my entire life. My flocks, my herds, my servants, my precious metals. It's all going to go to someone who's not even of my own flesh and blood. And so God says, don't be afraid. And maybe you knew this, but the most often command in the Bible is one form of do not be afraid or fear not. So, so if, you, if I said to you, what is the most often repeated command in the Bible? You now know it. It's some form of don't be afraid or fear not. Now, what does that mean about us as people if we need to hear that over and over and over and over? It means we're an afraid people. And rightly so. We, we are flesh and blood. We are made of dust. We are promised to the dust we're going to return. So in some sense, we have reason to be a bit anxious, but not with God on our side. And Abraham here is promised, listen, Abraham, I'm going to be your shield. Now think about that imagery in ancient battle. What did shields do? They, they protected you from deadly blows. So think about that. A sword's coming at your head and you, know, you, you flash the shield and it takes the blow for you. And then hopefully you're quick with your sword and you can strike back very quickly. Or if flaming arrows are coming at you from the enemy, okay, this is the world of Abraham, arrows, flaming arrows, swords, close contact, dagger knives, you know, no, no drone guided missiles yet, okay? And so shields were very important if you were going to survive on the battlefield. And here's God saying, Abraham, I will be your shield. Think about what that means. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be your survival method. I'm going to be your defense because shields are defensive, right? They're not offensive. I will protect you. I will be your defense. I am here for you. Therefore, do not be afraid. Okay. Now, we as Christians on the other side of Jesus Christ's resurrection, friends, did you know that Jesus is also our shield? We, we can hear God, Yahweh, saying to Abraham or Abram, I am your shield. And you can say to yourself, God, you are my shield. Do you know why? What did Jesus Christ do in our place? He took the blows that would be ours. This is Good Friday. We just celebrated it two days ago. Jesus on the cross took the deadly blows that should have been ours, and he died in our place as a substitute for our sin, and we in him are now protected. Why? Because as Romans 6 says, just as Jesus was risen from the dead, and we in him, we rise to live in the newness of life. Therefore, Jesus... Already took the blows, and guess what? There's none left for us. This is why Romans 8, 1 can say, There is now, therefore, say it. No condemnation for those in Christ. And so Jesus is our shield in the sense that he already took the blows, and yet God continues to shield us in very invisible ways. One of the things I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven, I am going to probably see the many, many instances in which God protected me, and I didn't even know it. And the same goes for you. How many dangerous events was I right in the middle of, and I didn't even notice it? and didn't even have an opportunity to give thanks or to recognize the peril, and yet God was protecting me invisibly the whole time. I I can guarantee this goes on all the time because if you're familiar with the New Testament, Ephesians 6 says that we're in a spiritual war and it's close contact. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual forces in the heavenly places or heavenly realms. This is going on all the time. And you as a Christian are stuck in the middle of this spiritual war, and we are warned, you're in it. It's not that you're going to be in it. It's not that maybe you'll be in this war. You're in it, period. If you're a Christian, you're in the war. And so God promises to be our protection, though. And we are promised uh, some armor to take up and be protected, and the armor points to Jesus. Now, let's move on to verses uh, two through four. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And an heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him. Now, this is a normal pattern in Abram's life. The word of the Lord comes to him and he hears directly from God. Now, I don't want to see a show of hands in here, but my guess is most of you have never heard the voice of God. And I know some of you will be like, well, I have, I hear it all the time, Let's talk afterward, okay? And we'll, we'll try to unpack that, okay? But this is very unique. Do you know why it's unique for Abram? Because do you know what there wasn't at this time? There was no word of the Lord, in the way that we know it, called the Bible. It had not been written yet. In fact, the Bible would not even begin to be written until after the Exodus, and after Moses is called by God through the burning bush, and he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, and then to Mount Sinai, and he begins to receive the word of the Lord. And he begins to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first Five books of the Bible. But at this point, there is no way to hear from God except what? To hear directly from him. And isn't it interesting that we often desire this? We're like, if I could just hear from God, like I want to wake up at 2 a.m. and have this booming voice and be in my bed and have him direct me and tell me what to do. Trust me, you don't want that. Like when people hear God's voice, it's usually a call to go somewhere or do something and be somebody that's terrifying to them. You know, Moses is like, send someone else. Like, no, no. Can't you send someone else? Please send someone else. Look, I'm, I got a speech impediment. I can't talk. Who made man's tongue? You know, Moses. And like, you don't want that, but you know what you have that Abram did not have, you have the 66 books of the Bible that friends, you can turn to at 2 a.m. and hear from God. And so here, Abram is receiving a promise from God. What's the promise? Behold, you have given me no offspring. What's the promise? The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And and now, if we move to verse 5, he's going to expand Abram's vision. Look at verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. Now, what does that mean? Think about it. If he can see the stars, what time is it? It's nighttime, right? Maybe two in the morning. So, like us, if you're sleepless, and you're worried, and you're fearful, this is the moment at which God shows up for Abram. And he says, look, don't be afraid. And what's he thinking about? Well, probably the war that just happened. And in addition, I don't have a son, and all of my accumulated wealth is gonna go to this man who is my servant. And he says, look up at the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And I I love this because this is a promise in the middle of what in abraham's view or abram is hopelessness i've got nothing and so he says okay i want to show you something come here look up and remember no artificial light at the time like no electricity so if if we're seeing at night we're seeing with fire or perhaps fireflies collected in some kind of primitive mason jar, right? There is no artificial light to dim the sky. And so as Abram looks up, it's like being at, at, at Cherry Springs, and it's just you see the galaxies. And so he not only is seeing, oh, there's the North Star. Wait, is that Mars? What is that? He's seeing the Milky Way in ways that we've never dreamed, Okay. And so he cannot count these stars and God is saying to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, what I love about this, if you were to read Galatians chapter three, Paul tells us in extension to the Galatians that we who have the faith of Abraham are his children which means Abraham being the man of faith, he believes God's promises. And that's what this chapter is about. Abraham believing the promises of God. you gonna say, what's this all about? Abraham believes the promises of God, the verbal promises of God. We believe the promises of God and we exercise faith in God's promises. Where do we get them? Not in a verbal proclamation from God, but in his word. And then Galatians 3, Paul tells us that we, like Abraham, are people of faith, and so we are the children of Abraham. So what I love to think about in light of Galatians 3 is when Abram looked up and counted the stars, or tried to, who was up there in the sky? You were. If you're believing in Jesus tonight, Abraham was looking up there, and you were up there in the sky, because you would be one of his offspring, we are children of Abraham by faith. It's a beautiful verse. Now let's uh, think about 1 Peter in light of what we've just heard. Peter tells us, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And so what is Abraham doing in this text? Remember, he is casting his cares on God. He's like, I'm childless. Uh, I'm fearful. This man, Eleazar, is going to inherit. He's basically pouring out his cares and anxieties to God. And God doesn't rebuke him for being fearful or for being faithless or not believing God. Rather, he reassures him and he comes to him and he, he builds up his faith. Now, friends, Peter told us we could do that. Look, cast all your anxieties, some translations say fears or concerns, cast them on him. Why? Because God cares for you. Did you know that if you're a Christian, it's not that just God tolerates you or, you know, he has you way back in his, you know, Rolodex on the phone. I was going to say in the picture book in the wallet, but we don't do that anymore. I'm pre-smartphone, right? But but now it's like somewhere Tom's in here. Let me see. Where is he? No, we we are all utmost in God's affection, and that's hard for us to believe. But look what the text says: He cares for you. And so maybe for you tonight, faith is believing God actually cares about you. And you know who would love for you to believe that God could maybe just tolerate you or you know, care enough to pay for your sins, but that's about it. Do you know who would love you? Exactly. Satan would love for you to believe that about God. But we have the word that tells us, for example, Galatians 2.20, that God loved us and gave himself for us. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible probably. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Now listen, before you were Christian, what were you? world (laughs) for God so loved the world you were in that but how much more now that you're not just world but you're in his family and so how much more now does he love you that you are his very own adopted child right and so maybe faith tonight for you is yeah I have believed on Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins I am in Christ as Ephesians 1 says i'm there already all right do you believe he's actually for you and not against you do you believe that he actually cares for you do you believe that he will actually shield you from all of the troubles and trials that would destroy you or perhaps destroy your faith do you believe that now god will take you into some dark places anyone that's been a christian for any amount of time can give you story after story of of valleys of darkness but we come out of the valleys don't we Sometimes it takes time to climb out of a pit, but we climb out by God's help eventually. Right? And so your faith will not be destroyed if you look away from yourself and continue clinging to Christ and the promises of God. And that's what this chapter is about the promises of God. So shall your offspring be. In verse 6, and he believed the Lord. I love that. He believed believe the promise and what and he god counted it to him as righteousness i love that now paul picks up on this and james picks up on this in the new testament we don't have time to go there but romans 4 3 galatians 3 6 and james two twenty three all quote this verse and apply it to everyone who is in christ Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, righteousness, so the same goes for us, friends. Have you realized that you in Jesus, you united to Christ, are righteous because the righteousness of Jesus, the positive keeping of God's commands, the loving God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength is given to you as if you Never transgressed one law, as if you positively loved God and neighbor continuously and without fail. That's yours in Christ, and so God treats you as if you lived the perfect life of Christ. We are counted righteous in Jesus. It's not just Abram; it's us. Read for yourself Galatians four uh, three six, Romans four three, or James two twenty three, and you will see that this is directly applied to Christians. And so maybe faith tonight is you believing that God actually counts you righteous in Christ and receives you on the basis of Jesus' performance and not yours, right? Because most of our relationships, especially our work relationships, are all performance based. How many of you have had performance reviews, right? And we think God's kind of like that, like, oh crap, it's performance review time, you know? And God's going to be like, failed, 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 failed. You're fired, Like, you're out of the family. You're excommunicated. You're gone, man. Girl, you're out. No. God treats us as if we lived the perfect life of Christ. How do we get that? We look away from ourselves and we cling to what Jesus did in our place as a substitute. That's the only way. You can do nothing to earn God's favor, you can only receive it as a gift. Believe and receive. Isn't that beautiful? God says, I am here, I am for you, I have accomplished everything, and all you have to do is turn away from the sin that you so love but is actually killing you and turn to me, the author of life and the giver of new life in Christ. And I will be for you and not against you. And there will be no condemnation for you until you make it home. And I say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we, like Abram, are counted righteous. Why? Because we believe the promise of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, which just means good news. That if we believe on him, if we trust in him, if we turn from our sins, embrace the payment of Jesus on the cross, embrace the reality of the resurrection, and that he is the first, and we will come after him, then we too can live a life of resurrection wholeness. All right, let's move on here's here's galatians 3 7 it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham remember faith just means trust and so as we trust in the promises of god god says you are included in abraham's offspring Okay, it's a, it's a beautiful promise. So, as Abraham looked up at the stars and he saw this vast multitude, we, because we are uh, of faith, we are also the sons of Abraham. All right, let's keep going. And he said to him, I am the Lord. So, God is still talking to Abram here. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember, that was uh, southeastern Iraq from a few weeks ago. To give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Okay. Now think about this. God says, I'm going to give you this land. Well, how do, how do I know? What does that sound like? Exactly. That sounds like a little bit of doubt. Can you, can you give me some assurance? Like, can you give me some kind of something, some kind of, you know, what, what if I open up the Bible and just put my finger on the first verse it lands on. Can you make that apply to me? Right? We know there's no Bible yet, but we do that. Please don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. That's not the way to treat the Bible. Okay. So can you give me a sign? How do I know that I shall possess it? And look at how God responds graciously caring. And he says to him, bring me a heifer. What's a heifer? A cow, right. Okay, we don't say heifer anymore. We say hamburger and steak and filet mignon, right? Give me a heifer, three years old, three years old. A female goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old. A ram is a male uh, sheep, three years old. A turtle dove and a young pigeon, verse 10. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other but he did not cut the birds in half and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses abram drove them away now i want you to think for a minute how many of you have ever butchered animals that you've hunted like any deer gutters in here it's not easy right just gutting a fish is not easy and they're little you just imagine this okay a heifer that's a cow man think about the mass the massiveness of a cow a female goat, a ram, and he's got to cut all these things in half without power tools? Dang, right? Like, this is a feat here to butcher these animals. And, and think about the blood, okay? Christians are not afraid to talk about blood. We're, we're not squeamish people when it comes to blood. Because without the shedding of blood, what? There is no forgiveness of sins, And so here there's a lot of blood spilt and imagine animals split in half. Like you take that cow, chop that thing in half. If you had the super sharp samurai sword, you know, and it falls in half. Okay. Imagine that. And he is now with these animals and what happens? Well, the vultures begin to descend and the birds of prey that eat dead animals. Um, I have turkey vultures in my neighborhood. Anyone ever see these things, right? They look like giant hawks or eagles in the sky and they've got red heads and they're in the pine trees, the big pine trees in my neighborhood. And I was pulling down my street the other day and there was a dead something. We'll say it was a raccoon. And man, there were turkey vultures, big, ugly things just picking nasty guts off this thing and just eat it. That's the picture here. Like the dead animals are there and Abraham is waiting and the birds of prey begin to come down. Now for us, we're like, what in the world is going on? What a bizarre passage. Like apply this, Chris, let's see some application here. What are we going to do? I'm going to go to the Brazilian steakhouse and eat meat. (laughs) It's all about butchering, right? So think about this. Okay, Abram knew what to do, okay? God says, bring me these animals, and he doesn't go, well, why? He immediately knows what to do. He cuts them in half, and he lays them. So what's going on here is, in this culture, this is the way that you would cut a covenant, or you would make a contract in our uh, culture. So what do we do to make a legally binding agreement? What do we do? Well, we sign papers, don't we? Much more civilized. We go to the notary, they watch, yes, I saw you sign that, stamp. No blood, it's not even stamped in blood, it's usually black or blue ink, stamp. But that's legally binding. Like If you have an authorized document with a signature and you violate the agreement, you could be taken to court and legally penalized, right? Well, in this culture, they didn't sign paper, they cut animals in half. It was a covenant in blood. And literally they would say, cut a covenant. And now what's going to happen in the next scene, as we read it, uh, you would walk through the middle of the animals. And what you were saying by this is, if I don't agree to the terms of this agreement, if I don't agree to this covenant, this contract, may what happened to the animals happen to me. And so you acted out the promise. And so when Abram's like, Hey, how will I know? Like, can you sign on the dotted line? God. Right. And he's like, bring me a heifer, bring me a female goat, bring me a ram, bring me a turtle. And and he's cuts him. Abram knows right what to do. He cuts him in half and he's waiting now for God to the point where the vultures start coming. And he, and he shoes them away as he's waiting for God. Think about that. And the next scene is, in my view, pretty amazing. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, so let's stop there. Get the picture. He, it's beginning to be night, and great darkness, God's presence, mystery being itself, the author, creator, and sustainer of the universe comes in localized form and Abram is is out. Okay. But he is out in such a way where he hears God and sees God. So it's a, it's a vision of some kind. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. What's that talking about? Somebody. Right. It's talking about uh, the Jews, Abram's descendants, being enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. Yet Abram doesn't even have a son yet and he's talking about generations to come, this is gonna happen. Notice the promise is gonna take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to be fulfilled, but God's like, this is happening. Know for sure that this is gonna happen. Know for certain this is gonna happen. They will be soldiers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. When did that happen? The 10 plagues, remember? Okay, judgment happens. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. When did that happen? Remember, the Egyptians were like, just leave. Here's clothes, here's gold, here's jewelry. Just get out of our land. And so without even having to go to war with them, God went to war, they, they plundered the Egyptians. Yet this was promised hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened. Verse 15, as for you, Abram, You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here where this is happening, where the animals are cut in two. They shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I find that amazing. Now, what God's saying is after the Exodus and after the generation that came out of Egypt dies off, Joshua is going to lead an army of Israelites and they're going to go to town specifically with the Amorites. But you know what? I'm going to give them another 500 years to offend me and to build up their offense before I destroy them all. Is that grace? <laughs> Look at that. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Well, how much longer are you going to give them? Uh, five, 600 years. I mean, that's a long time to build up some offense before God says you're done. That's grace, that's mercy. And that just shows for God, even for God's enemies, he is gracious and merciful, is he not? This is what's called common grace. And so he's gonna allow these Amorites to exist for a long time until after the Exodus and after that generation dies off in the wilderness and then Joshua is gonna come in and take over the land. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch between these pieces. This is God. God shows up in the form of a smoking fire pot. Now for us, we're like, what, like a Home Depot bucket with fire coming out of it? Like, what is a smoking fire pot, right? To them, they would have been familiar with this. Think of like, have any of you ever seen a, a clay oven, like that? pizzas are cooked in the woods far in the back. And then you, you kind of put the, whatever you're cooking up front. So this would have been a, some kind of clay oven or some think that maybe it was a, a fire that they would melt metal and then you know, take the dross off some kind of oven that would have been familiar at this point and what was it a flaming torch now what's interesting is this is the same form god took when on mount sinai with moses that's right when when god appeared he did not appear in human form he did not appear in angelic form how did he come thick darkness and smoke, and what? Lightning, and thunder, just like this, only in smaller capacity. What happened when God led the Israelites through the desert? Pillar of cloud, you could say smoke, and what by night? Pillar of fire by night. Okay, this is God showing himself in such a way that people get a visual representation of him, but yet God is not a smoking fire pot and he's not a flaming torch. Okay. But this is God walking through the pieces. Now on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, where's Abram? What's going on with Abram? He's asleep. So get the picture. You go to sleep, I'll make the promise. And what does that mean if God doesn't come through on the promise? May it be to me like these animals may I get slaughtered in half and bleed out like these animals. Some of you are starting to catch the picture. And so how can we make sense of this in light of the resurrection? God makes promises all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, This is just one of them. Remember Genesis 6? And the flood, and then seven, eight, nine. And what's the promise? What's the sign of the covenant? The rainbow, right? I'll never destroy the earth by water again. And there's signs of the covenant, and there's covenants. Just think of promise when you hear covenant. And so here, God is making a promise. You will have descendants that number like the stars, and I will give you this land. Okay, that's the promise here. And interestingly, God's saying... If I don't come through, the curse that is represented here by failing on this covenant, it's on me. Now, Abram is not in the picture, right? He's asleep, so he is not making the covenant with God. It's God making the covenant with him. Listen, friends, this is a picture of the gospel, okay? Here's how God takes on the curse that is owed us, does he not? Does not the, uh, the Pentateuch say, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree? And so here is Jesus, the Son of God, hung on a tree, taking the curse that is ours, and basically bleeding out like these animals. Okay? And God accomplishes the promise of redemption, and get this, of having Abraham children as many as the stars of heaven. How would that be accomplished? Through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Listen, without Jesus dying for Abram, Abram is still in his sins. You realize that. So when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, Abram's sins were on Jesus. Jesus. And so were Isaac's, and so were Jacob's, and so were Jacob's 12 sons. And so was David's, and so were Solomon's, and on and on and on we could go. Noah, Adam, Eve, all the wrath of God for all the sin of all those who would ever believe. Old Testament and New Testament falling upon Jesus, and Jesus is absorbing the wrath of God. Listen, coming through for Abraham I'm going to accomplish children as vast as the stars of the sky for you. How's he going to do it? He's going to bleed out on a cross. God himself is going to accomplish this for Abram. And that's what Jesus did. This is Good Friday. But friends, the animals stayed dead in the story in Genesis 15. They didn't reassemble and begin to walk around and eat and drink again. No, they stayed dead. But friends, Jesus didn't stay dead. Did he? He said, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to pick it back up again. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth and what? Rise. As Jonah was spit up by that whale, on the shore of Nineveh. So Jesus was spit out of the grave and he is alive, friends, forevermore. And so Jesus accomplished the taking on of the curse for us so that there's no more curse for us to bear. How do we get that? Friends, we simply receive. We receive the promise. We believe the promise that if we will cast ourselves upon the mercy and grace of Jesus, we will be forgiven. And we believe that there is coming for us a great resurrection after the resurrection of Jesus. He is the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep, we learn in Corinthians. And so we too will rise one day. Okay? And, and maybe my hair won't be gray. You know, that's possible. That we'll all be young again, 25, 26 years old, maybe, maybe even 22 I think I felt better at 22 than I did at 25. Any 25-year-olds 25 in the... Feel pretty good, bro? You feel all right? All right. I wish I felt like you. <laughs> I feel all right. Love it. Let's, let's end with this. I got a couple more minutes. Let's end with this. 2 Corinthians 2, 11 to 22 says this. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. It's his fourth letter to them, even it's called Second Corinthians. Was well, not yes and no. And Paul here is uh, defending himself because he said he was going to come, but then he had to back out and he didn't come. And so they're saying, oh, he's, he waffles back and forth. You know, his yes isn't yes and his no is not no. So he's defending himself. And he says, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him, it's always yes. You ready, friends? Verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. This is profound, okay? Think about this. If there's any promise that is yours in the Bible... If you can claim God as your shield, if you can claim the resurrection as your own, if you can claim the forgiveness of sins, if you can claim there is no uh, condemnation for you in Christ, do you know what that promise is in? All the promises of God find their yes or fulfillment in Jesus. That means, friends, you can read the Bible, and if there's a legitimate promise to you, not one that you wish was to you, like, for example, uh, Solomon did, or God did promise Solomon incredible wealth and wisdom beyond his years, and you can't say, yes, in Christ, that's mine. That would be ripping that out of context, okay? You, you need to interpret the Bible rightly, but there are promises all throughout the Old and New Testament that are yours, and their yes finds their fulfillment in Christ, in Christ. That is why... Through him, Jesus, we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And he has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Here's the question, friends, are you in Christ tonight? Is the curse of sin on you or has it lifted off of you and landed on Christ? That is the greatest question you will ever answer. Should I ask it again? Are you in Christ tonight? Are you bearing the curse for the penalty of your sins? Or has God taken the curse off of you and put it on Jesus? Friends, I hope and pray that all of us are in category two. I pray that you no longer bear the weight of the curse for your sin, which is condemnation and future punishment that will last forever. But I pray that you have found forgiveness in Jesus, hope in his death on Good Friday, life and promised everlasting life and renewal in his resurrection on that first Sunday that we call resurrection sunday i hope that you're in christ and friends if some of you were thinking right now how do i get in christ like is he like a house that i have to open the door and go in and then i'm in like i get into my house after i unlock the door friends you get into christ meaning into his perfect life death resurrection as a substitute for you how do you get in you look away from yourself and you look to Jesus, and you ask him for mercy, grace, and forgiveness, turning from the sin that you so much love, and turning to him, and friends, he will forgive you, do you hear that amen right there, my man's excited, you should be saying amen with him, amen, right, this is good news, this is what we celebrate, this is why we gather as the church, and sing the songs we sing, and take communion every week, remembering, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus' blood was spilt. But like the animals, that their blood only temporarily covered sin. No, Jesus' blood takes away, it removes the sin from us. He absorbs it into himself, and we are not condemned in Christ. And so we celebrate Jesus tonight his life his death his burial his resurrection are you in Jesus have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins friends you need to do that okay. it's it's not a simple thing but it is as simple as you turning away from your sin and turning to him asking for his mercy and grace and the promise is he will forgive you when you ask He will cleanse you of all your sin and you will be found safe in him and promised resurrection as he was raised 2,000 years ago. So at this time, we are going to take communion as a church. Uh, It it is the perfect Sunday to take communion, even though we do it every Sunday. So here is how communion works here at Eternal City Church. Uh, I would not advise anyone and everyone to take. Okay, why? Because communion symbolizes Good Friday, then Saturday, and then Sunday, okay? It symbolizes Jesus' death on the cross for us. And so if you have Jesus as your substitute and sin bearer on the cross, then take communion with us. Remember the body broken and the bloodshed of Jesus. But friends, if you're not there, I would encourage you, don't take communion. Why? Because it's simply a symbol, a worshipful symbol of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And if you don't have the reality, don't take the symbol. Okay. But maybe tonight you would like to take this as an act of faith for the first time, saying, I want to be in Jesus. I want the forgiveness of my sins. I want his death on the cross to pay for my sins. Friends, take this as an act of faith. Communion doesn't save you. It represents what does, Jesus. Okay, so maybe tonight you want to receive Jesus as the forgiveness of your sin. Take communion with us for the first time as an act of faith, okay? And after we sing a gospel song, I will come back out and I will lead us all in taking communion together. So hold this until we're done singing and I'll come back out and we'll all worship together by taking communion as one church big capital C church in Christ. So if you could stand, we're going to sing our last song of the evening, and then we'll take communion together to close our worship service.